Thank you for joining Bowling Green Christian Church this week. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit BowlingGreenChristian.org. Good morning again. I'm Weston. If you're visiting, glad you're with us. Glad you're with us. A um, couple things. Uh, it's it's an awkward time to be at Kroger right now. Um, it's uh, Super Bowl Sunday, obviously, or the big game Sunday. I don't know what we're allowed to say anymore without the written and expressed permission of the National Football League. Um, there's a game happening today that's big, and Kroger's got ribs, and then tomorrow's Valentine's Day, guys, so, um, you know, maybe you should remember that. So it's like there's hot wings and candied hearts um, all over, and that's, that's happening. Now, here's, here's something interesting that uh, I ran into, um, bacon roses. Now, you, you can't see that. I don't think I can zoom in on it here, but bacon roses, I think, really is the gift that we all want, <laughs> male or female, you know? Why are you going to spend all this money on these flower roses that, aren't, that you can't eat them? You know, you can't eat a normal rose, but you could eat that, and it looks good. So somebody make bacon roses and let's try them out and see how it goes. I, I mean, what, what could go wrong? <laughs> Nothing could go wrong there. All right, so today we're starting a new series. Now that we got the TV, I'm going to figure out where I want to live. Um, got this new series we're starting called Likes and Loves. It's based on Dr. John Van Epps' material called uh, The Relationship Attachment Model or RAM series. It really is a terrible name, but the content is brilliant. Um, I, I found it listening to a podcast of another church, and I thought, man, this really explains some things in relationships that I think are super important for us to all grab a hold of. And I wanted to do a relationship series, and I thought, man, this is, this is really going to be some great stuff. And so I uh, looked into uh, the material, and they license it to churches. And so here's what's happening over the next six weeks, just so you know. Everybody, say it with me, everybody, everybody is going through this study, okay? So that means our kids, elementary age up going through this study. So moms and dads, when you get in the car today and you're like, hey, did you have fun? The kids are like, yeah. And then you're like, what did you learn? And they're like, I don't know, because that's what every kid says. Um, then you'd be like, hey, did you talk about relations? Did you talk about God? Did you talk about your relationship with God? And the answer is likely going to be yes, or they'll be like, I can't remember. We ate goldfish. Just, just as an aside, one time we switched out goldfish. I think it was pretzels. We swapped. We thought, man, it'd be a neat, nice treat for the kids to have a little variety downstairs. And we had like the toddler uprising of 2018. Like we had to throw them away. Like the staff was eating pretzels because like the kids were like, they'd taken, they were kind of like going like this. They're like, what? Where's the goldfish? Anyway, so the kids downstairs are eating goldfish and they're studying relationships. Um, our high school students, junior high students, they're going to be going through this material. Uh, our small groups going through this content. Um, it's really good. I, I, I hope you've got your books ordered. Uh, they will be here tomorrow. I hope they'll be here tomorrow. They're supposed to be here Thursday. Sorry. Um, we're going to get them out to you. But this is going to be some really great stuff. Uh, hope that you dig in deep. Hope that you talk about it with your kids. And I want to say this. This isn't just like romantic relationships. So it's not just a marriage series, although it will help you with your marriage. And it's not just a dating series, although it will help you with your dating life. 
it's, it's a relationship series. It's looking, today we're going to talk about sort of this model, I'm going to introduce it, and we're going to talk about our relationship with God. That's what we're going to talk about, because this model really connects and describes how all of our relationships work. So it talks about friendships, and talks about parenting relationships, and, and all of these things. So I, I want to address one other group of people before we kind of dive into this. Uh, this is our single group that has no intention of, of marrying. I know I've heard from you, um, and, you know, and I admire that commitment that you have for various and sundry reasons um, to say, you know, I just believe that singleness is the way that God has called me to live my life. Uh, that's awesome. And, and there's, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff in here for you that will help you with friendships. Uh, I also want to say this. I think as the body of Christ, we're called to encourage each other. And so if you're single and you have no intention of dating or marrying, uh, that's fine, but you will have friends that do. You might have a niece or a nephew that does. And this will be an opportunity for you to pick up some tools that will help encourage them. Now, I've been in the church long enough that I know there are some of you out there who are saying this. You're going, why are we talking about relationships in church? Like, that sounds like sort of like pop psychology stuff. Like, Oprah's supposed to talk about that. We're supposed to talk about the Bible. Like, you know, we're supposed to talk about deep spiritual things. Um, here's the truth, friends. Here's the reality when it comes to our relationships. God designed it this way. Spiritual growth is designed to occur within the framework of relationships. God created us as relational beings. God is a relational being. Let's, let's go back before creation just to who God is himself. We talk about him as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the Orthodox Church describes God the Father as the lover of all, of all creation, all humanity. Uh, it talks about the Spirit as being the love that flows between him and the beloved. This is Jesus Christ. The, 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 the Godhead, the Trinity, exists in perfect relationship. And when God created humanity in his image, part of that was to create us as relational beings. And you go through all of creation and you will notice that we are created as unique, independent, yet interdependent beings. You know, we're designed for relationship. And when we grow and mature in our relationships, we grow and mature spiritually. Jesus has come for several reasons. One is to save us. Another one is to teach us how to live and to be the perfect example of relationships. Here's our theme verse through this whole series. Let's say it together. Philippians 2.5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Oh, you were so ready. I was kind of like introducing it to you. Okay. I'll read it slower, and we'll read it together. All right, here we go. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's try that one more time. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now let's pause and think about the ramifications of this. How would your marriage improve if you're married if you had the same mindset as Christ Jesus? How would your parenting relationship improve if you had the same mindset as Christ Jesus? How would your relationship with your parents improve if you had the same mindset as Christ Jesus? How would your friendships improve if you had the same mindset as Christ Jesus? You see, there's something here that we, we understand in our minds that we fall short in our relationships. And, and so the premise of all this is if we could improve our relationships and the way we love each other, we'll actually become a little bit more like Jesus. That's, that's the idea. 
Let's look at what Jesus taught about relationships here in Matthew 22. It says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophet hang on these two commandments. Listen, Jesus is saying here in this statement that all of the law, all the commandments that God had for us, all the things that God said, you should do this. He said, you don't need any of that if you just live by the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you'll take care of the law. What do the prophets do? The prophets constantly are sent to the nation of Israel to do what? To call them back. To what? To loving relationships with God. To, to, to loving God and putting him first, to loving each other. You, you read through the prophets and you see constant call about how people are oppressing each other. Why are they doing it? Because they're not loving each other. Jesus says if we could master these two commandments, to love God and love each other, that everything else would, would be taken care of. And so we might say this, that the ceiling of our ability to be obedient or the ceiling of our ability to be like Jesus Christ is set by the capacity we have to run our relationships with others. So when we improve our capacity to relate to each other and to show love to each other, we improve our ability to be obedient to Jesus Christ. God wants us to be in relationship with us. He wants us to be in relationships with each other that are healthy and life-giving. That's, that's the, the, the premise of this whole thing. Now, there's one relationship that stands out in uh, Old and New Testament as you read through them. You'll, you'll see this marriage relationship. And so we will talk about marriage as we go through this. You'll see this marriage relationship is lifted up as an example. You read the book of Ephesians, and, and it talks about how Christ loves the church as a husband loves his wife, and you kind of get this sense that maybe God gave us marriage, not so we could be married, but so that we would have an object lesson of what God's love is like. You go through the Old Testament prophets, and I mean Hosea in particular, and what do you see? You see that Hosea is calling the people back saying, listen, you are like a, a wayward uh, wife, and, and God is like your spouse who is pursuing you. He is your husband who is calling after you saying, come back to me. You come into the book of uh, Ephesians, and it's there that we see that Christ loves us as, as, as a husband loves his wife or should love his wife. And so as, as Christians, we should be doing what we can to lift up marriages and to strengthen them. Because other than our relationship with God, marriage is the highest relationship that, that we are called to. And if you're married here this morning, I want to ask you that. Does it feel that way for you? Does your marriage feel like that highest, most life-giving relationship that you have? If not, why not? How can we improve it? What can we dig into here and perhaps find something that would be a blessing to you. So I, I want to introduce this, this system to, to you and, and give you kind of the, the idea here. It, it centers on these five bonds of our relationships. It's true in marriages and, and friendships, but our relationship with God. Here they are, real simple. It's five components. It's to know, to trust, to rely, to commit, and to touch. These five bonds, these five elements work into all of our relationships. All the relationships that we have will, will have some of these bonds, differing degrees of these bonds. They're not all the same, but an element of each in all of our relationships. 
And so I want to, to give you this chart here. This is called the RAM chart, the relationship attachment model. I know it feels a little, little dry. Now here, listen, I should have, said, I should have led with this. If you ordered the, the discussion guide at no additional cost, they are throwing in one of these. I know. Try to contain yourself. I've seen so many people just elbow each other being like, I told you we should have got the discussion guide. I'm sorry. You missed it. Um, they're magnetic, so you can move them around. And and here's, here's what I want to say. I want to say this at the beginning. I, I want to just, allow me to have a disclaimer here. Some of this is going to feel a little forced. Okay, I got it. Some of it's going to be a little cheesy. I, I hear you. I live in reality as well. I got it, okay? But, but let, me, let me say this also. I, I remember in seminary, I took a class in marriage counseling. No, I do not do marriage counseling. That's always like the next question. Like, I didn't know you did that. It's because I don't. Um, I'm glad to refer you to somebody. I'm glad to hold your hand and pray with you um, if that's what you need, but I don't do it. Uh, but this counselor had been doing it for like decades, like I think like 40, 50 years. A guy was getting up there, and he said this, and I found this so profound. He said that in his estimation, 80% of marriages were what he called a hard fit. 80% of marriages are a hard fit. Here's what that means for 80% of us, that you have to work hard to stay married. 80%. All right. Now, if your natural way of relating with each other involves screaming, shouting, yelling, pouting, door slamming, sleeping on the couch, silent treatment for days or weeks, if that's natural for you and you like it, that's great. If, however, you say, man, I'd like to have a different type of relationship, it will feel forced. Because natural is dysfunctional for you. And so when we start talking about stuff like, hey, maybe sit down with your spouse and talk about how you feel using these terms. And you're going to sit there and go, this feels really dumb. That's the guys. Um, this feels really dumb to talk about this. Um, you know, it feels forced. It should be natural. Um, you know, let me tell you, natural is not working. So maybe give this a shot. We can always go back that other route. You know, we can always refund you your misery. I mean, it's just reality. You can always go see the divorce attorney. And I'm not kidding. But this might be the chance for you to turn it around. And yeah, it's going to feel forced. And it might be a little cheesy. If you sit down and you start to kind of use this model and you start to go, all right, well, how do we feel like we know each other? Well, I kind of feel like I know you. Yeah, I know you. And yeah, we kind of trust each other. Sure, yeah. Rely. Now, this one gets a little tricky if you're busy, right? Because maybe you've started to let each other down. Maybe your commit is feeling kind of weak. Maybe your touch is it's down here. And you're going, what is it that, that's frustrating us about a relationship? You know, maybe you're kind of going, well, it's, it's, it's this or it's this. This is the place that I feel kind of let down. This is the place that I feel disappointed. You know, but if you're talking with your spouse, they might say, hey, listen, you know, guess what? You know, we haven't been out in three weeks. I feel like I don't hardly know you anymore. You know, and because I don't feel like I know you, I mean, it's kind of hard to trust you because, like, we don't even communicate. And, I mean, I can't hardly even rely on you because we don't see each other anymore. And our level of commitment, well, you know, it's still there. We're, we're married, but, you know, and, yeah, the touch is not, it's not working right now. 
You know, and so maybe for one, it's this issue, but really, if we go back, it's that issue. Again, this is a really common sense, simple kind of way to start talking about our relationships in the part that we feel is deflated and not working. And yeah, I get that it feels a little hokey, a little cheesy, and the couple huddle time, you might have to sit down with your spouse and sit with this little thing on the couch, and you might be going through it and be like, well, this is kind of lame, but let me tell you, if you give it a chance, it might, it might help. It might be a means of improvement for you. Same guy that uh, said 80% of his marriages, you know, he thought were a hard fit. He used to give out a piece of linoleum to couples that had a hard time communicating. This is true, honest to goodness. And it was, you know, just a piece of like kitchen floor. And the rules in marriages were you had to have the floor in order to talk. Uh, seriously, it, you know, they had the floor, they could talk. And he said he remembered talking, and the, the, I think it was the wife had brought it in her purse because they'd gotten so accustomed to using it to talk. Like they couldn't have a conversation without it. For them, it became natural and life-giving and helpful and functional. Same thing might happen here. Give it a chance, give it a shot. All right, so you got to embrace the awkward sometimes before it becomes normal. But if normal's not working, uh, I say, what have you got to lose, Right? You hear me? Even if that's not you, you, does that make sense? Go ahead and say, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, all right, perfect. All right, let's move on. Let's get into some of this here. Let's talk about this first dynamic of no. The first dynamic in any relationship is you've got to know somebody. You have to know them, and they have to know you before you can have a deep, loving relationship. If you sort of know somebody, and they don't know you, and you have a deep, loving relationship with them, we call that stalking, okay? (laughs) And it's not a relationship, and you need help, okay? But any normal, healthy relationship requires a little bit of knowledge. How can you love somebody without knowing them? Same thing's true in our relationship with God. We have to know God. He already knows us, but we have to know Him in order for us to have a relationship with Him. And if you think about the world in which we live, the culture in which we live, we don't prize true knowledge of ourselves real highly. You know, we, we hide it. We want to have a curated image that we put online. We want to put the filter on so, you know, we look better, look thinner, look, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, we've got products that can take away... You know, things that make you look uh, younger, you know, hair color, blemish, all this stuff. You know, we, we kind of live in a world where we sort of conceal and curate who we really are. And I think part of it is we're afraid of being known. I love this quote by Timothy Keller. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. It's comforting. Sure, it feels good to be kind of known and, and not known but loved, but it's not, it's not real meaningful. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. I mean, think about it. It's, it's like, I truly know who you are, but I don't love you. That's a hard reality. We don't want to face that. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. Friends, God knows you entirely and loves you completely. That's the good news, is that God knows us, and he loves us. Psalm 139, 1 through 4 celebrates it. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Friends, that's how much God knows about you. And he loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. And and it is true. If it was just you, Jesus would have come for you. I, I know that you know yourself and you know a lot of the darkness in your life and you're ashamed of that. God sees it all and he's willing to forgive it all because he loves you completely. That's how much God knows you. But how much do we know God? That's what we've got to work on is our own knowledge of God. Now, there's three ways that we sort of know God. God leaves us clues. One of them is in creation. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You see, if you look out into the created world, Romans tells us that we get glimpses and clues about who God is, that he's created the world with order and care, that he's created us to live in relationships. So that tells us something about God wanting to have a relationship with us and how he loves us. He's created us with inquiring minds. You know, things like science. Why does it work? It's because God has created the world with order and care. And as we pursue truth and knowledge, we get a little bit closer to him. So that's one way we know God. But, but the way we know God the clearest is through Jesus Christ. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. Why is that? It's because the Word is Jesus Christ, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made Him, that's God, known. You see, so when God said, man, listen, I know you, but you need to know me, He said, I'm going to have to come down there so that you can get to know me who I really am. And He came in the form of Jesus Christ. And then thankfully, it was written down so that we could have a record of it. This is what we have in Scripture. 2 Timothy says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, those three sources, you know, creation, Jesus Christ, and Scripture form for us the ability to know who God really is. And when we know who God is, we learn to trust God. We learn to trust him. You don't trust somebody without knowing them first. You need to know them, then you trust them. And here's what Psalm 910 says. It says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Now, what is trust? Let's talk about trust for a second. It is a feeling of confidence, and it's, you know, maybe based on reality, maybe not based on reality, but it is a feeling of confidence. Uh, Dr. John Van Epp, who's the author of this series, he calls this a trust picture. And when it comes to God, our trust picture of God comes in many different ways and from many different sources. Sometimes it comes from Scripture, and it is well-informed, and you know who God truly is, and you trust Him for who He truly is. And, and sometimes our trust picture does not come from Scripture, but it comes from others, Sometimes our trust picture comes from maybe a parent, and maybe for you, that wasn't a real positive experience. Maybe when we talk about your heavenly father, you think of your earthly father, and that's not a a, a good thing for you. And you go, man, if, if God's anything like my earthly father, I don't want any part of that. 
Here's the problem at this point. You have an inaccurate trust picture of God. Why? It's because you don't know him enough. You don't know him enough. Until you know God, you aren't going to trust him. You know, if, if your knowledge is down here or it's based on something that's false, your trust will also be based on something that's false. And so if we want to improve our trust, we have to improve our knowledge of God. And so there's a couple ways to do that. One is to, to spend some time in Scripture. Another is to spend some time in prayer. If you've been wounded by some people that have maybe taught you about God, then here's what you need to do. You need to say, God, listen, this is the baggage I'm coming with. Can you meet me right where I am? And would you help me to develop a right and healthy trust picture of you? And I believe that God will honor that prayer and meet you right where you are. And then once you've done that, you'll learn to rely on God. Now, relying is actually putting into action, you know, some, some things based on our feeling of confidence. You know, it, it's like, you know, if you've got a chair and you say, I trust this chair, but if you don't sit in it, you're not relying on it. I mean, just real kind of basic kind of thing. Yes, you know, it's, it's not that I don't trust you. It's just that I don't trust you kind of thing. Um, I say that all the time to, to my kids. Um, you know, um, this is just the thing. You know, you talk about trust, but until you actually do something, there is no trust there. You've got to show it. Uh, James will talk about this in James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, here's what James is doing. He's kind of asking this question about, like, listen, you talk about all this knowledge of God, but your life doesn't look any different. He goes on, gives us an example. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. You see, here's the thing that James is letting us know, is that we sometimes have an overdeveloped knowledge and an underdeveloped reliance on God. I've talked about this before, and I think this is a really good uh, you know, thing for us to, to come to grips with. We live in a time where we're like, man, I want more knowledge. I want to know more about God. I want to know the deep things about God. You know, I, I want to learn. And so we, we've got all this knowledge about God. And then we talk about, yeah, I trust God. You know, yeah, I trust him. Maybe not as much as I know him, but I trust him. But then, you know, when it comes to relying on him, your life looks no different, really, than if you didn't know God. I, I think of this in terms of like a spiritual obesity epidemic. You know, we're constantly sitting and being fed. That's the word we use for it, right? We're being fed spiritually, but what are we doing with all these spiritual calories? Are we actually using them? Are we applying them? Are we allowing them to change our lives and the lives of the people that we know? Friends, we've got to put our knowledge and trust into action and in reliance. Uh, this will uh, come in several different forms. You can put your faith into action in a few different ways. Let me give you just a couple ideas. One is if you've been in church for a while, and I'm going to assume you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and maybe you could start serving I know we've got a few things. You know, we've got Meals, Inc., I think, is coming up. Uh, chair team needs some people. Micah Morris, put your hand up real quick. I know that she needed some. Oh, in the back, there he is. See, get a good mental picture of Micah. He helps us get all these chairs out. Uh, it's a volunteer ministry on Saturdays. Maybe you're not doing anything. This would be a great place for you to start. Man, say, hey, I can help put out some chairs. Micah's going to be out on the, comp or in the foyer there uh, after service. You could ask him about that. But serving is a great way. Get out of your comfort zone. Another thing you could do is start to, to give and be generous. 
You know, uh, it's one thing to say, man, I trust God and I trust that he's going to provide. It's another thing to say, you know, because I trust God, I'm going to be generous. Because God has given to me, I'm going to give. Uh, Man, the amount that we give and the way that we give reflects a lot on how much we truly trust in what God is going to say and do for us. Another thing you can do is, is, is pray. If you're, if you're one of those people that's consumed with worry all the time, try giving those to God and say, God, I'm going to trust that you, I'm going to rely on you to work these things out. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, man, that's step one, right? To say, you know what, I know about you, I say I trust in you, but I'm going to have to put my faith in you and give my life to you. And when we find that we do that, guess what? We'll find it real easy to commit to him. We'll find it real easy to give our lives to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk about commit for a second because this in some ways is maybe one of the most important, maybe the most important sort of slider on this whole thing because it's the one thing that can keep you together in your relationship when everything else starts to slide. You know, it, it's easy to think about, you know, a couple, they get, they get married, they've, they've been dating, what do they do? They, they talk the whole time, they're talking on the phone constantly. They, they, they enter into a marriage with a lot of knowledge about each other. Maybe they go to premarital counseling. They know all sorts of stuff about each other. And they're going, man, yeah, I totally trust you. And they trust each other. And they're like, yeah, we're going to rely on each other. We're going to put our bank accounts together. We're going to, you know, we're going to get a house together. We're going to put our lives together. And so we're going to rely on each other. And then we stand at the altar. And we're going to exchange our vows. And we say, I do. And so we get this real high level of commitment. And it's the honeymoon. So we got this real high level of touch. And we start, our marriage is off in this place. And it is, it's, it's great. And everything's sort of pegged out. And we're like, man, yeah, this is awesome. But if you've been married for a while, you know that, you know, things change a little bit. That, you know, you don't spend as much time talking with each other sometimes. And so that knowledge piece, it comes down. And and maybe something's happened where you just don't quite trust each other. Maybe nothing big, but, you know, you you said one thing, you did something else. And so the trust has slid a little bit. And maybe because you're busy, you've forgotten to care for each other and do things you said you would do. And so reliance has kind of come down. And, and, you know, and if, if schedules are busy and we're stressed and we're hectic, touch is coming down. But, you know, here's the thing. As all of these start to come down, if we say to ourselves, you know what, listen, we made a vow, we made a promise, we're going to keep this commitment high. Guess what? That's the umbrella. That's the shelter that gives you the time to say, you know what, we're going to work on this. We're going to take this and turn no around. We're going to start going on some dates. We're going to start spending some time together. And you know what? Because we're starting to know each other more, we're going to start to trust each other. And we're going to be a little bit more mindful, and we're going to start to rely on each other. And you start to take care of all these, guess what happens over here? That just naturally follows. Okay? This is where we are. But it's commit. It's commit that gives us the opportunity to be able to work on the rest of the pieces of our marriage and all of our relationships. Commitment and true love, they go hand in hand. It's the kind of relationship God wants from us. God wants us to be 100% sold out and given to him. Now listen, your commitment you know, level, it's going to fluctuate. It did for the disciples. It, it surely will. I mean, they knew Jesus. They, they thought they knew Jesus. They, they trusted him. They relied on him enough to do what? To leave everything and follow Jesus, right? They left it all. And they were committed. They were sold out. And, and they're walking with Jesus all over the place. But then what happens? Crucifixion happens, right? Friday night happens. Everything just drops down. You know, and they're like, man, you know, I, we're not, I don't know him. And the commitment like falls in the toilet. But then what happens? Jesus appears to them. That commitment is rekindled and they reaffirm themselves. And what happens? They go to their grave confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and most of them as martyrs. Commitment doesn't get any higher than that. So here, perhaps you're here this morning 
in your relationship with God, maybe in your marriage, and commit feels like it's fallen, guess what? You can bring it back up. It can come back up. With God's help, it absolutely can come back up. So let's not give up. Let's work on it. Here we go. Last one. Final bond of touch. Touch is super important. I know that people kind of go, well, touch, like I get, you know, sex, marriage, I get all that stuff. Sure, I get it. Um, But all of our relationships have touch? Absolutely. They all do. I had this illustrated for me so clearly last Sunday night. We went to a football banquet for my son uh, and the coach there, typical football coach kind of guy. All these seniors are coming out. These are, you know, these are practically grown men coming across the stage. And, And what does he make a point to do, the coach? As he calls her name, you can tell he cares about him. He comes down from where he's at. He comes down. He shakes her hand. He looks him in the eye, and he gives him a hug. I mean, there's touch in all of our relationships. You know, some people are like, why, you know, why are boys roughhousing all the time? It's because of this. That, that's, how they know, that's how they know they're loved. They get thrown you know, onto the couch. They get hit with a pillow. I mean, and they're like, man, they really love me. I got hit with a pillow today. You know, this feels, this is good. I mean, that's, it's just reality, okay? It's in all of our relationships. And it is so important to talk about this. We've lived in this age where like, you know, for the last few years, like we're not touching each other, right? Or we're doing the fist bump or like the finger guns or... You know, I don't know what we're doing anymore, but you know, we're not touching, you know, and people are hungry for, for healthy and appropriate touch. And yes, touch is powerful, so when it's used wrong, it is terrible and it is destructive and it is hard, but man, when it is done with love and, and appropriately, guess what, man? It brings life to people. And so it is so important we think about that. We think about a relationship with God, it's no different. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, what's this word? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What does, what does Paul mean by that? It means when you go to work and you're working with your hands, guess what? That's an act of worship. When you are touching other people and encouraging them, and you're putting your hand on somebody's shoulder, you're shaking somebody's hand saying, man, I really appreciate you. Guess what? This is an opportunity for you to show God's love. Jesus Christ sealed for all eternity the placement of loving and affectionate touch through the incarnation. God came and said, listen, I love you so much that I want to be like you. I want to be able to reach out and touch you. And friends, when we use touch in an appropriate, life-giving, loving way, this comes true. I think the most powerful illustration of this for me comes uh, out of a story from a church in Las Vegas. This church had a real big homeless ministry, and one of the guys that had kind of fallen into their orbit uh, was a guy who um, came into homelessness from actually a really wealthy you know, background. He had made all sorts of money and had all manner of success in professional fishing. Um, yes, there is money in that. And um, I know I was surprised as everybody else. But um, lots of money apparently in professional fishing. And he had boats. And some of you were offended by that. I'm sorry. Fishing is a sport. I believe in you. Um, I mean, he had all manner of boats and all manner of money and all all sorts of stuff that came from it. And then he had an addiction and just blew it all away. And he finds himself now, instead of living, you know, in this nice house with multiple cars and boats and all this stuff, he finds himself in the orbit of this church. So he has a, a place to take a shower and a meal to eat. And there's a volunteer that remembered him and remembered his name. And she came up to him. She said, hey, I want to give you a hug. And he said, you don't want to touch me. He said, I'm nasty. And she said, no, I want to give you a hug. 
And she gave him a hug. And several years later, he is clean and sober and living his life. And he says, man, it was that hug. It was that moment I realized I was no longer untouchable to God. It was the power of touch, friends, that, that can turn it around. And so this, this, this morning, here's what we're going to do. I want to close out uh, today. And we're going to have some time of taking communion. Um, we have some, we've run out of time. We'll, we'll do all this later. Um, we're going to have some time of taking communion. But as we get ready for that, we're going to sing a song. About, I want to have the worship team come out and uh, lead us in this song. Um, because it's a powerful reminder of what is happening in communion. God gives us things like baptism, and he gives us things like communion, and he gives us things like being able to touch and encourage each other, not because it's, it's clever, but because he knows that we are people of touch. We're physical beings. We crave it. We're hungry for it. And so here in a few moments, we're going to spend some time with that. Now, as we come into communion, I want to say a few things. One is we serve it from God's table, not ours. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to participate. The other is this. Uh, sometimes it's been a while, and, and you might need some time and space to, to kind of get in that zone. If so, as we stand and sing, you can sit and pray. And you can say, God, this is where I'm at, and, and have a conversation with him. But when I come back up, I'm going to lead us in taking communion together as we worship God and hold these physical elements that remind us that Jesus came for us as a real person. He sealed for all eternity the importance of touch and showed us the priority of relationships in our lives. And so I want to challenge you as we enter into the series, make it a point to be here all six weeks for the next five. Be here for all five of them. If you've got a vacation to Tahiti, I need you to go ahead and cancel that and be here. <laughs> and if the tickets aren't, if you can't get a refund, you can transfer them to me. And I'll take one for the team, okay? I hate it, but I will. I'm just kidding. Not about, I would take your tickets to Tahiti, um, but um, you don't need to cancel it. You could just watch online. But make sure that you stay tuned in and you are a part of this as we move forward. But let's stand. Let's sing. Let's celebrate our relationship with Christ right now.